stargazers, welcome to 7th House Astrology, where I take any topic that is astrological in nature or a topic related to relationships or romance. I investigate under the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Love or Relationship Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek, and I'm so glad that you guys have joined me for today. So, the topic for today topic of today's episode is actually very much near and dear to my heart, and I'm actually really happy to share this with you guys, and that is that of the attachment styles and the astrology of it, like the astrology of what makes the attachment styles possible. Now, I know I'm endeavoring on a big topic here, so I've actually separated this episode into four different episodes, so definitely stay tuned within the weeks to come when it comes to each episode, and since I've also um, have been neglectful of charts lately, you know, I've actually um, kind of taken a look at charts lately with when it comes to my topics. I am actually going to do a deep dive into specific charts that I feel um, are of celebrities that I feel who are of the different anxious or of not anxious styles, but the attachment styles. So definitely, definitely stay tuned for that one. It's going to be a lot of fun, I feel. And yet again, something that can broaden our horizons, kind of expand our mind. And not, like I said, it might not be the atypical overall hot button answer, but it's an answer that again, in the astrological community, we can kind of deep dive a little bit more on. So without further ado, what are the attachment styles and what is attachment style theory? So first off, Stargazers, when I found out my attachment style, it actually changed how I viewed uh, just relationships, how I personally relate. Uh, when I found out my style, it also really kind of started to transform my life in more ways than I thought possibly imagined. And I know we're kind of used to hearing these sort of things, but this definitely really helped me out. And that's why I'm just like, I got to do an episode on this. But the attachment styles were actually first started, um, the theories first started to come around in the 1960s. And it was John Bowlby who first kind of came up with it. And he had seen within his um, clinical trials, not just within his clinical trials, but also within um, his patients, there were certain attachment styles when it came to partnerships that kind of arose. And he started to scratch the surface when it came to why this attachment style might be coming up or like not only what is the attachment style, but maybe what might be scratching underneath the surface. And of course, being a wonderful therapist, uh, usually therapists like to go into the, you know, how you were raised, the, the background of like how you were raised, what might have happened uh, when you were a young child um, that might be that, you know, and also kind of linking the how you were raised to the underpinnings of your type as well. Um, it was actually Mary Ainsworth who picked the theory of attachment styles up and actually continued it onward with her research in the 1970s through the 1980s. So like I said, I, I really um, had no idea that the attachment, that attachment style theory was really 
you know, ever pervasive and also this old as well too. I thought it was like a kind of, um, you know, since I discovered it last year, I thought it was a recent phenomenon, but actually it's, it's been around. And again, she also noticed these, there are particular styles of attachment that she had noticed when it came to relationships and relating not only why are they happening, but also going a little more in depth as to why that is. And then, of course, how um, I think the overall underpinning of attachment theory is how to take whichever type you are and how to become more secure in your relationships. And also more, I would also argue, too, how to become, you know, to become more secure in your relationships is also to become more secure inside yourself. So uh, when you find out what are the underpinnings or what's actually going on, uh, it, it can be kind of revelatory all the way around. But, uh, you know, so within anxious or not anxious, I keep saying anxious. I'm so sorry. When it, it, it comes to attachment theory, there are a couple of different types. So um, the best way that I can describe the types here are if we have a seesaw and say that we have anxious on one end, we have avoidant on the other end, but then we have that fulcrum. I'd say to start off with, with secure, that's the fulcrum. So with secure relationships, we're neither really clingy, we're not possessive, we're not suspicious, nor are we pushing or shoving somebody away in the relationship. You know, secure really means that we kind of have um, all the extreme uh, attachment types really well balanced. And it's really like the the underlying, the you know, the kind of utopian state where we want to be when it comes to relationships, both with ourselves as well as with others. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, Stargazers. I think that there are very few individuals, you know, it's very rare for individuals to come into complete secure style. I think that it's actually far more common that we do find ourselves in one of the insecure types. And the reason being is that, you know, we're human. We do make mistakes. Um, we also are human in our needs. We're very human in our basic underpinnings. And it, you know, I find like secure is a very utopian sort of type. There are people who do encompass that, but I have to say this much. It took years before they came to secure attachment style. And then on top, you know, years of work and working with each other to come to that particular attachment style. And then furthermore, along with having years of work, um, it still takes further years of work. Um, there, there's still moments where those who are of the secure attachments types or the secure attachment type, they uh, really feel like there are times where they slip up where maybe an underpinning um, comes out um, when it or when it comes to their relationships. And so they still have work to do. And that's kind of the nature of relationships. The reality of it um, is that, you know, there's the utopian, but we still have lots of work to do. So if you do find yourself in one of the the more insecure types not to fear. That's completely normal. Yours truly is also in one of the insecure types as well. So again, um, even though I'm the host of an astrology podcast about relationships, I'm not perfect by all means. But uh, the first uh, or the other type when it comes down, the first um, 
insecure type, I should say, is called the anxious or preoccupied type. I usually refer to it as anxious. And uh, with this, the individual, so I'm, I'm going to have to highlight this. For the insecure types, um, we have to also emphasize that the individuals, they do have something working for them within their secure, within their attachment style. It's just um, what works for them might be relied upon a little too heavily that might be causing some things that are not so savory, some unhealthy habits. So when it comes to the anxious type, um, one thing that I can say that really does work for them is that kind of like with Portia Williams in The Real Housewives of Atlanta or with Ashley Darby in The Real Housewives of Potomac, um, these are individuals who they really want the, you know, they really want a good life. They really want to be married. They want to have kids. They want to have the white picket fence. They want to have like these noble goals. They want to be able to share their lives with their children. They want to be able to share their lives with a significant other, somebody who's reliable, somebody who's faithful. But, you know, for whatever reason or another, whether it's, you know, due to, you know, kind of childhood um, habits that were picked up, you know, habits that were picked up in early childhood from how they were raised, or whether it's just conditions. I, you know, I, I have to argue, sometimes there are conditions that can cause somebody to veer from one type to another or for somebody to veer towards one type as well with the attachment styles. But... Um, whether it was, you know, they had a previous really traumatic experience with a previous loved one, or whether they were really raised with very neglectful or almost cold and distant parents to where they kind of had this need of wanting somebody. The thing about anxious people is that they tend to get a little clingy. And as if that's not enough as well, they're also the type to also cause drama in the relationship. Um, I think the clinginess is obviously they feel that if they even give their partner a little bit like an inch of space, that they're going to go off and cheat. Or they just have this preset mindset that um, if they give their, if they like let time lapse before they actually contact their partner again, that partner is automatically going to go away. And again, um, like I said, again, there could be something that could be prompting that. The first person who came to mind um, is, as an example for me when I first read um, Anxious Types was that of my first boss um, at in, in, behind the chair in Barbering, and that was at Supercuts. And uh, I felt like she was anxious in the regard that you know, when it came to her boyfriend, every minute that she had, and I, I saw her every minute that she had, that was a spare minute, which was usually after a haircut, she'd start texting her boyfriend or, um, you know, on her lunch break, she'd start texting her boyfriend or on, you know, a miscellaneous break, she'd start texting her boyfriend before she knew it. She was actually incessantly texting her boyfriend every single minute of the day. I think my, one of my coworkers had caught her doing it, had actually called her out for doing it. And to which she replies like, well, this is how I should show love. I mean, this is how, what love is that you, that you, you know, continually show con concern. And, you know, unfortunately for those who are anxious, they believe that this is how you show love, but what happens in the end and what happened with my manager 
um, eventually, she smothered this guy. She scared him off, you know, with her incessant texting. You know, she thought she was improving the relationship and really she was actually smothering this guy. She wasn't giving him enough space. There were times, too, where when she was on break, she'd go to his house or his place of work, um, especially when he broke up with her and said, I'm sorry, this is not going to work. I think she went to his place of work, begged for him to take her back uh, because she was having a panic attack. And then she was also bursting into tears. Um, you know, either way, she wasn't giving this guy privacy which is a necessary component in relationships. She wasn't giving him room to breathe, nor giving him privacy, nor space. And furthermore, you know, from the get-go, a lot of anxious people tend to display behaviors where they don't trust their partner. And you know the old saying, you know, this partner could be very trustworthy. And the old saying, as the old saying goes, if you believe somebody to be a cheater, or you believe something bad about somebody, eventually that somebody's going to meet up to that expectation. You know, eventually that manifestation that you have in your head is going to become a fruition because your what you don't notice in your behavior is that you're displaying certain behaviors yourself that can actually uh, drive this person away as well. But especially with anxious types, um, what I usually recommend towards anxious types, and I will probably be recommending this often, even with the the chart reading uh, next week. On you know, so like I said again, if you find yourself that you're in the anxious type and you'd like to know more of the astrology behind it, tune into next week's episode. Next week we'll be diving into the anxious type. But uh, one thing that I really tend to um, advice for those who are anxious is that really have something else go on in your life. You know, whether that's a personal hobby or a goal. In the case of my manager, she ended up having to go to therapy. Um, I don't know the specific circumstances for her. It was like a 50-page book, uh, a whole saga about what her relationship with her boyfriend. All that I really know was that she was in therapy um, she was reading lots of different books about the attachment styles. And um, I re what really ended up happening as she started to develop awareness as to why she was so anxious, which actually related to a previous husband committing suicide. So because her, husband, her previous husband committed suicide, she was afraid that the significant other that she had in her life would just go away, you know, or would just kind of disappear off the face of the earth. So for her, she ended up replacing a lot of the affection for this guy with a puppy. She adopted, I think it was like a, a Doberman puppy and took care of the Doberman puppy. And I think that that was, that was great for her. I always say to each their own. Also, you know, personal goals can suffice if you have something that you've been meaning to work on and that you would like to dedicate more um, effort on in your life. That could actually be a good focus, even when you're in the relationship, you know, to kind of use that focus instead of the relationship being the focus. Because for anxious types, the relationship is all consuming and kind of consumes their life and their livelihood in a way they're kind of, they kind of get a little boxed in and they kind of box others in too when it comes to their relationship. So that's where it veers towards unhealthy. I would just say when you're able to 
disconnect from the relationship, be a little more independent, and also displace the object of affection with something more constructive, I think that can help you towards growing more secure. And for insecure types, that's where our object or our goal is going towards us to become more secure. So now we go to the opposite end of the seesaw, the analogy of the seesaw. And um, BetterHelp, like I said, these are terms that BetterHelp had phrased with the attachment styles, but I've also noticed them as different, uh, you know, different names. But they said the dismissive or avoidant type. Um, I would say it's avoidant you know, the avoidant type. Now avoidance, unlike anxious people, so what works for them? Um, so what the, the one thing that really works for them is that in a relationship, they always are the individuals who say, okay, it's nice that we're together, but we still need to remain as individuals in the relationship. You know, so first house themes in astrology really appeal to um, avoidance where it's like, who am I in the relationship, but then who are we in the relationship as well? However, with avoidance, because they are so big about autonomy and independence, sometimes they can actually push or shove people away. Um, I'm just going to say this for the record, Stargazers, I'm going to be quite frank with you and quite honest with you. I'm an avoidant, and I've been an avoidant. Uh, for quite some time. Um, while it's very beneficial to push people away, like people who are not serving your better, higher goals, I feel that um, they deserve to be pushed away, in my view. Maybe it could be because I'm dealing with some issues, or maybe it could just be it is an underlying truth. Like if, say, you have somebody who's being an emotional vampire, to you, um, that person is good to shove away, or that person is good to do away with and kind of keep your distance and keep your autonomy from them, or they will emotionally suck you dry. Not to mention that they will get into constant fights and drama, which for avoidance, they really don't care for that. That's, you know, of drama is something that annoys them. You know, so it seems like, you know, on the, you know, even though the opposite end of the anxious types, when it comes to somebody who is anxious and maybe creating drama and needing their constant attention, they hate it, they abhor it. And so first thing to do, shove them away. Um, as an avoidant as well, too, I feel like when you're, we, you know, when you're dealing with unsavory people, you know, like people who are energy vampires, it's one thing. But my biggest problem is, you know, I've noticed this within this, you know, turning of the new year, is that um, there have been times where I've actually shoved people away who meant well, or have come close to shoving people away who aren't emotional vampires because I perceive them to be this, that, or the other thing. And I almost shoved them away. I almost shoved like a good ally away. And that's where, as an avoidant, that becomes a problem. Or when you're in a close relationship with somebody, it's getting deep and it's getting meaningful and then you start pulling away. That's also where it can be a bit of a drawback. Um, sincerely, stargazers, for me, um, it's because I feel like I've been avoidant because of trauma. You know, uh, when I went through a very, very abusive relationship, Back when I was 29 years old, 
and, um, you know, ignored the, the whole red flags and everything. Um, after that experience where I was betrayed by friends, where I was betrayed by human resources of the company because this was a coworker who did this to me, as well as betrayed by the one who I thought I loved. Um, I started, you know, it was like ever since 2013, really, I started to really distrust a lot of people in my life. I felt like I could not trust the world. I could not trust men. And I certainly could not trust women who had their interests in men. And I lived this way for quite some time. The biggest drawback of this, I, I have to say genuinely, is that I've grown very lonely in the last year. You know, while the you know last year I thought I needed to grow more independent, this was before I knew my attachment type, I actually started to grow more lonely. And when I looked at it, it's like I'm starting to push good people away. So I speak genuinely, oh man, it just got heavy in here. So sorry. Um, I genuinely say this from the bottom of my heart, from one avoidant to another, the best solution for avoidance is, you know, really try to be open to good people. And also I find that sometimes, you know, commitment issues can come to the fore with avoidance where if, um, they are, you know, engaging in a really close relationship and that close relationship is just, you know, they're afraid of that. They, that, and they're more inclined to pushing away. What I would just say is just try to remain open as much as you possibly can try to remain open to relationships because not everybody, you know, I've had to try to learn this myself. Not everybody's a bad person out there. Not everybody's a jerk or an asshole um, who needs to be shoved off to the side or an emotional vampire. I mean, I feel like I've had emotional vampire radar now as well, too. Um, you know, it's like to, if, if these, you know, try to remain open that, you know, people, there is humanity, a goodness in humanity and that um, people have better interests for you, whether you believe in them or not. And if the relationship, if it's within a relationship context where it's getting close and you're getting a little anxious, speak about that to your partner. Um, be open and talk about that to your partner instead of just pushing them away. Also, I just say try to remain open. Maybe they have better interests for you in mind and becoming closer. Um, they, they might be looking out for your well-being. I think that that's like the biggest challenge for avoidance. I speak from experience, but I feel like that is the best way to grow towards more secure. Oh, before the barometer in this room completely drops because that just got a little, that just, that just got a little personal, a little heavy. Whew. Okay. So third type is of the insecure types is actually a mixture. It's kind of an interesting type, actually. Um, it is a mixture between anxious and avoidant. And I believe it, you know, with BetterHelp, they call it the fearful avoidant, which I kind of find to be interesting. But I think most people actually are this attachment type. You know, it's rare that you find somebody purely anxious, purely avoidant, or purely secure. Um, you know, sometimes, a lot, many times a lot of people fall in between the two. 
Um, I, I feel like avoidance and anxious, I speak from experience on this one, they kind of deal with some extremes, whether it's in their life or their circumstances, or whether it could be from childhood, you know, they might have experienced some extremes um, in childhood or in extremes in, you know, other relationships as well. Um you know, I think, like I said, though, for the most part, I think many people fall, you know, seesaw between fearful and avoidant. So um, fearful avoidance or fear, um, yeah, fearful avoidance or those who ha encompass both insecure traits, they may um, lean towards being really close from the get-go, but when they establish closeness, they might pull away. Or they might be inclined to pulling away, being cynical, trying to shoot the other person down, and being cynical about relationships in general in life. Again, speaking from experience here, but when they come to know somebody, they might grow far more attached, but they have to be careful because that attachment could lead to the clingy behaviors of the, um, the anxious part of them. So they kind of seesaw back and forth. My biggest advice to them, or my biggest advice to those who find themselves in this category, take the strengths of both sides. Take the strength of the avoidant, which is independence and autonomy, blend it in with the nice noble goals of the anxious person. The noble goals being, I want to be close to somebody. I want to share a life with somebody and, you know, merge those two goals together, you know, and try to merge those two goals together. You know, if done correctly, it should be a little bit of a stretch. It should be a little bit of a challenge. It should be a little bit of putting more effort into relationships. Um, again, I, I speak from experience on this one. It's not easy for me to remain open to people right now, but I find that it's necessary in my, my time here on earth to be a little more open and to try to invite more relationships in uh, regardless. So where we're going with this is the astrology. So what's going on with astrology to kind of determine what's going on with attachment types and the attachment styles? So um, actually, before I begin with this, I have to say big little shout out to Eileen Kay and Lively Moon on astrologyweekly.com. Um, even though Lively Moon was more likely inclined to say, you know what, um, there was one other individual on astrologyweekly.com who had mentioned that's like, you know what, there's so many factors in this. I really don't know where to go. Even though uh, Lively Moon had mentioned, yeah, there's a, it's really broad. I don't really know. There could be a ton of planets involved. Um, she at least, or she or he at least um, endeavored to answer my question about the attachment styles. The same with Eileen Kay. Um, I really thank you guys. You, you really helped me out for this week's episode today. And your input also helped me out for the future episodes when it comes down to um, the attachment styles. So really big shout out to you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm sorry my, my question was really broad. But uh, I, I really appreciate your insight when it comes down to your input. Lively Moon, I think I will be using some of your advice or some of your input into next week's episode, believe it or not, when we're diving into the anxious type. Um, but really, uh, with both Eileen uh, K, Lively Moon, and with Astrodienst, uh, the article that I looked up on Astrodienst, 
everybody had mentioned first and foremost the moon. Now, um, as the article on astrodines, and let me go ahead and list that article for you. It is entitled Moon and Series Archetypes of Attachment and Nurture by Rebecca M. Farrar. And stargazers, I highly recommend that if you are on Astro, please search for this article because it actually is informative, especially with the moon um, signs and how they, you know, how they deal with attachment and also how they might deal with when their attachment needs aren't met. And some of it's pretty spot on, actually. It's pretty informative. So definitely check her out. Um, she merges a lot of Jungian and Freudian concepts of attachment, Rebecca Fuller, that is, and really merges it with astrology. It's really quite fascinating and very helpful. But with all three sources, they've mentioned that the, the moon is one of the biggest types because the moon, first and foremost, um, well, one thing that I think of when I see the moon is that, you know, when you're born and you're kind of there, you know, you're basically, your mom is holding you after she had just given birth to you. Um, it also happens with those who are in same-sex marriages where they've used a surrogate and they're first holding the newborn. That attachment that you're feeling is actually your moon signs and where they're positioned in the, the synastry chart. Now, um, depending on where the moon sign of both the child and the parent are, sometimes it can be a very warm, wonderful experience. Other times it might not be as warm or lovely. Other times the, the mother might have a conflicting sort of opinion about it. Again, those moon signs in the chart, in the synastry chart can indicate that. The other thing that I feel like that can indicate it, like when my mom, when I was born, my mom felt like she found a part of herself within me. And I kind of felt like there was, you know, a lot of growth in our relationship. And it turned out that my moon signs actually outside her sun sign. So a lot of things that she did not discover about her outward ego, her outward personality, she found with me. And I kind of found, like I said, that my mom was undergoing intense growth when I was growing up as a child. I was, you know, close to my dad, um, but I also was kind of close to my mom. And I, I felt like she was really improving herself as she moved along with me. You know, she was growing and changing along with me. So you do, you can have situations such as that in the synastry chart um, between family members. But the other reason for why is that while the moon indicates our emotional nature, it also indicates our needs for attachment. You know, when we're born, what do we need to feel secure when we're out in the world, you know, and even when we're beyond being born, even when we're um, beyond, you know, childhood and like say we're growing up and we're growing into adulthood, what are the needs that we need to feel met and secure and safe? You know, for somebody who has like say a Scorpio moon, they might need some sort of adventure. They might need some sort of intensity, but they also, you know, in order to feel safe and secure, they would need some loyalty from the other person. 
you know, they kind of need some loyalty from the parent. They need some loyalty from their significant others in order to feel safe and attached and secure as well, too. So this is where we begin our journey with attachment. And I feel like this is where the attachment styles start to begin is what we need, what we crave, and what we've needed since we were little toddlers and when we were little babies, when our emotional world was really the only, that was the first planet that actually formed in our charts. Uh, the other thing about attachment or about the moon is that it can also indicate that when we're not getting what we need for attachment, which does happen, you know, I mean, we go through trials and tribulations in life, and sometimes we just don't feel as loved as we could. Um, most of the time, we do kind of put up barriers um, with that. And with those barriers, the moon sign can indicate how we put up barriers. Now, again, to save some time, um, I decided to actually break it down to the elements of each moon sign, but definitely check out uh, Rebecca Fuller's um, article on Astrodeans, uh, where she actually does go into each sign and how they put up like avoidance tactics or some like some shields as well. Um, I know when I checked for my own, not only my own moon sign, but also the planets that were nearby, it was pretty spot on. And it's like, oh, that's why, that's why I, I do this, that, and the other thing. And it was, it was kind of interesting. But for, um, I'm going to start off with the air types. So with air, uh, usually when they are not getting what they need in attachment, they start to attach and become just coldly logical. Sometimes they might even shame themselves for feeling so deeply and so involved as they did. And they might displace their anger. Like with Libra, they usually, you know, Moon and Libra tends to displace their anger onto someone else. Or onto something else as well, too, instead of actually addressing the problem. But air signs as a whole, they usually tend to go up into the logical realm and they start to just be really coldly logical and try to think really logically and rationally about the situation and all situations in order to protect their delicate hearts and their, e their delicate egos as well. Um, one thing I recommend with air signs, try to confront what hurt you. And uh, it's kind of like what um, Dr. Vanderkolk in The Body Keeps the Score mentions as, um, you know, try to peel back the defender and try to peel back the firefighters in order to expose what how you really feel, who you really are, and how you're really feeling. And uh, maybe feel that for a little bit. You know, maybe have that moment before you fully detach from everybody and everything in, in the world. Going on to fire, fire signs usually detach by actually being very creatively minded. They kind of detach through their creativity. An example of this could be like um, they can start to engage themselves with a, you know, a form of painting or they can engage themselves with a form of writing or engage themselves in something other than artistic pursuits. Um, I know with creativity, it's kind of hard to define because you can also be creative in a business setting. So they might be overly creative in the job sense and really engage with that. And then also furthermore, when they're engaged with that, that's how they detach as well too. 
Um, sometimes the fire signs too, it depending on how severe they feel that their needs were not met, they could like form displays of showing attention or needing attention from other people or needing attention from another, another source um, in order to compensate for the lack of attention that they did not receive uh, within that interaction. And to me, I'm thinking of Leo. And that's how Leo um, moons tend to activate is like, you know, hey, I, I did not get my needs met. So I need to start getting the attention of other people in order to get my needs met, which is the need to just be center stage um, for most of the time. Uh, so for water signs, usually it's emotional. They, they tend to turn to the emotional realm. So for those who have a moon sign in the water signs, they usually either can turn to self, as with Cancer and Pisces, they can turn to self-martyrdom at times. Or as with Scorpio, they can just get really combat. They can just, when they're really hurt, their needs are not being met. They can get really combative and they can feel kind of like the sword suite in tarot where it's like, their back is up against the wall and they're just thwarting you every single step of the way. You can say hello to them and they're thwarting you. They're like, they're shoving against you um, in every single step of the way possible. And sometimes being also overtly argumentative, but that's simply, you know, and again, these are simply tactics that are to protect the heart, to protect the ego um, after being, you know, kind of denied their needs. It's kind of something that we all do. So it kind of tells me that the moon sign, kind of like with the ascendant, is there to help to protect us. You know, while it can be our really, you know, our heart and our soul, it can also be there to put up the boundaries to protect our very sensitive and also our very most vulnerable part of ourselves. And then lastly, for the air or for the earth types, not air, sorry, with earth types, they tend to go into, and they're kind of, I would say they're kind of like air where they kind of emotionally detach, except sometimes they'll emotionally detach and then they might um, find ways to recompensate by being a little indulgent. You know, kind of like somebody who has a moon in Taurus, they might find, um, they might be a little more indulgent in creature comforts. They might be a little more indulgent in material things, uh, such as, you know, beautifying themselves, such as making sure they're in vast amounts of luxury, um, you know, finding, you know, kind of different material objects that help them to feel better when really, um, again, I, I think above all with all the four elements, really addressing what hurts you is a good first step. Now, in the same article of Moon and Series, uh, the author, Rebecca Fuller, also mentions that series is also really important and comes into play. And the reason being is that series not only indicates how we mother, depending upon how we have been mothered, but it also indicates self-care, which I, I really didn't, I thought that that was kind of interesting. But uh, self-care, you know, we've come to know it you know, since 2020 since, you know, or since 2020 as, you know, but, you know, kind of indulging within bubble baths or having bath bombs. And, you know, sometimes that's, that's a form of self-care that's been, you know, self-care, I feel like has been misrepresented in a way. Not everybody is, is into that, but I think also in the sense of attachment, um, I, what Rebecca Fuller truly means is that self-care 
is becoming both your own mother as well as the child, you know, where the moon sign is basically how you're the child who has emotional needs that need to be met or not even just emotional needs, just needs to be nurtured and to feel whole. Ceres and her placement is where we can also be the mother at the same time. So if we've had a mother who, like, for instance, you, like say that you have a moon in your moons in Capricorn and say you just want stability and a sense of just belonging at home and say you've had a mother who is very distant and cold and who's conveyed that you just don't belong, that, you know, you're the very square peg that's trying to fit into a round hole. Um, you know, as much as you might crave that attachment, your series placement can actually find, you know, can actually help you to find ways to where you can feel more in imbued into the environment that you're in so that you don't feel like you have to armor up because, you know, you're feeling out of place and you don't feel like you have to armor up because you're not safe. You know, instead of armoring up, it's like you can be the mother who can give that sense of, yes, you belong, or yes, you know, you have a sense of safety. And yes, you have a, a solid foundation here. You know, you might not have a solid foundation with somebody else, but you have a solid foundation in your heart. You have a solid foundation in me. Or kind of like sometimes when I've had to go into self-talk a couple of times with myself, it's like, I won't let you down. Yeah, and I think that's like the most powerful self-talk ever, especially for those who have moon and Capricorn. Or also if you have Saturn, like if you're like me, you have your Saturn placement next to your moon. That can be the most powerful statement of all. It's like, I won't let you down. I know you're feeling anxious that you're not secure here or that you don't belong there, but I won't let you fail. I won't let you down. I'm here for you. And I think the the other statement of I'm here for you is also really great for all the moon signs to kind of engage in as well, too. And all the signs, or all the, the, you know, the series signs, too. But with series, it's definitely like, here, here, here's how I'm here for you. And series position can also further give you some advice on how to, you know, how to move, you know, move away, not only how to get your needs met, but maybe how to move away from those specific needs and maybe embody bigger needs as well, too. Like, for example, that person who has the Capricorn moon has series in Scorpio. They might have to think about, like, you know, instead of just feeling like, okay, am I safe all the time? Maybe safety is encompassed by taking a little bit of a dare, taking a little bit of a risk. Um, also finding some people in their life, like friends and family, but I mean, actually forget about friends. Um, if they can find loyalty inside themselves or that sense of loyalty inside themselves, you know, if they have additional friends that display that, that's an even bigger plus, but could they display that loyalty? Could that loyalty help them to also feel far more secure in their surroundings as well? So definitely when it comes to your type, so, uh, you know, so now we have like really two big factors here. Um, so when it comes to your attachment style, um, consider not only where the moon is positioned in your chart, but also see if series might be helpful in helping you to patch whatever you might not have gotten in childhood or even worse, what you might not have gotten in a particular relationship, 
like I had mentioned above, I feel like I'm avoidant because I was betrayed by a lot somebody who I loved, you know, a guy who I loved. But, you know, looking at series placement, I, it's again, how to find, how to nurture myself in order to not feel like I have to push people away or in order to feel like I have to displace my anger to somebody else or to something else as well. Um, last placement that I would like to look at within the weeks to come or that I'll be looking at in the weeks to come is that of Juno. And I'm looking at Juno because Juno, um, I know uh, Juno usually represents what we value when it comes to marriage or Juno's placement usually um, indicates that. I think that, you know, before we become married, we are single. So I kind of feel like Juno also represents like when we're single or when we've been married for a while and we're not really evaluating what really matters to us for marriage, we also have values that just matter to us, period. And I feel like values definitely help with attachment style. You know, if you have somebody who has a similar value system to you, you're going to feel far more attached to that person than somebody who may not. Somebody who's completely opposite to you, you know, you may feel hot or cold or you may feel like you're more inclined to pushing them away or just really quickly dismissing them before they even have a chance to kind of elaborate what's going on there. So, uh, yep, that's those, these are the three elements I feel not only have been prevalent in my research this week, but also what I will be using when looking at the charts of each individual type within the next couple of weeks. So like I said, stay tuned. It'll get really fun and it'll be like a nice, um, there'll be nice episodes um, for character analysis as well too. And of course, for all you Aquarians out there, I will be breaking during Aquarius season in order to, you know, um, not only report on Aquarius, what that means, but what to expect in Aquarius season when it comes to relationships. But above all, Stargazers, I do hope that this episode was informative to you as it was for me. It really opened my eyes. I, I really enjoyed the research from this week. Um, above all, um, do not do not be afraid to look up at the stars. Mars is actually still close to the Earth. You can still see him in the sky. Jupiter, you can still see him in the sky, although soon he'll be kind of dipping down in the western horizon. Um, I think with Mars, the last time I had seen him, he was actually near the top of the sky. So I think he's moved down just a smidge to where he's actually going towards the western half of the sky as well. The moon is actually still waning from being full. Um, so we are actually going to be coming up to a new moon here pretty soon, but still illuminating the lovely night sky. But, you know, if you're kind of like me, um, Stargazers, and you're kind of feeling like Mercury retrograde is just getting to be a little too much, good news on that front. As of the 8th, as of tomorrow, the 18th, it's going to end. So that'll be that'll be great. That'll be fun. So that'll be a great fun time for all of us. But if you kind of feel like Mercury retrograde has just been producing a lot of drama and just a lot in your life, um, you know, definitely feel free to just pause. Look at the stars to just pause. You just kind of ah, catch your breath. And above all, you're looking at the origins of astrology up there in the sky, um, especially if you do happen to see 
some of the constellations that form the, the zodiacal wheel that we use uh, for today and the, the signs that our totem animals are based off of. They're based off of constellations. But above all stargazers, um, I do hope to find that you guys are all well and do, you know, surviving both Mars and Mercury retrograde cycles with just absolute ease. Above all stargazers, between now and next week, continue to be well and until then. If you would like to comment or you have further questions for Sandra Misek, you can contact her at Misek, M-I-S-E-K, dot Sandra at gmail.com or at her Instagram page at Sandra dot Misek. Again, that is M-I-S-E-K. For as little as $5 a month, you can also become a member to this podcast. Uh, visit patreon.com forward slash seventh house astrology for more details.